Our passage this morning is Job chapter 27. This is his, the second chapter of, of several chapters that Job will conclude his discourse with his friends with. Uh, he is replying not so much to, to Bildad, who, who spoke in chapter 25 here, but to them collectively. And, and will, uh, is, is showing them the path of true wisdom as he understands it in this chapter and the next. Uh, and then chapters 29 through 31, he will uh, set up his, his last appeal to the Lord uh, for, for justice and mercy and make his case. Uh, but we will look th- this morning just at Job 25. It does... Uh, Come off the Job 26, though, and remember uh, that this is part of a larger discourse. Uh, we will look primarily, though, uh, we'll look at all of it a little bit, but primarily at verses 8 through 10. Uh, before I read, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And as we uh, attend to the the reading and also the preaching of this book of Job, this book that you inspired by your Holy Spirit for our good, we ask that you would give us the same Spirit, that we might receive it unto our good, that these words may shape us, that they may correct and reprove us, that they may teach and instruct us. Uh, We ask that we would have a firmer understanding of your majesty, but also of your love to us uh, and those duties to which you call us. We ask that your word would not return unto you void, but that it would produce the fruit in our hearts that you designed for it, that we might love you, that we might turn from sin, uh, that we might uh, be diligent in, in obedience and attention to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word from the book of Job, chapter 27. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, As God liveth, who hath taken away my judgment, and the Almighty, who hath vexed my soul, all the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. God forbid that I should justify you. Till I die, I will not remove my integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast, and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. Let my enemy be as the wicked, and let he that riseth up against me be as the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he hath gained, when God taketh away his soul. Will God hear his cry when trouble cometh upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call upon God? I will teach you by the hand of God. That which is with the Almighty will I not conceal. Behold, all ye yourselves have seen it. Why then are ye thus altogether vain? This is the portion of a wicked man with God, and the heritage of oppressors which they shall receive of the Almighty. If his children be multiplied, it is for the sword, 
and his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. Those that remain of him shall be buried in death, and his widows shall not weep. Though he heap up silver as the dust and prepare raiment as the clay, he may prepare it, but the just shall put it on, and the innocent shall divide the silver. He buildeth his house as a moth, and as a booth that, is the, that the keeper maketh. The rich man shall lie down, but he shall not be gathered. He opened his eyes, and he is not. Terrors take hold of him as waters. A tempest stealeth him away in the night. The east wind parrieth him away, and he departeth. And as a storm hurleth him out of his place. For God shall cast upon him, and not spare. He would fain flee out of his hand. Men shall clap their hands at him, and shall hiss him out of his place. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. So we have here Joe's response to the accusations that he is a hypocrite, uh, that, that he is arrogant and prideful in his righteousness, his self-righteousness, that he seeks to justify himself before God. And superficially reading it, we get many of these sorts of expressions that tend to that, uh, but we shall see that that is not the case, and that is not what Job is doing. But as he does this, he also, in his defense, brings forth the description of the hypocrite, the description of the type of person that is his enemy. The one that he would make his enemy, that he would not find any common ground with. That's what verse 7 is is getting at. And and so to to then go and see Job and the importance of Job's defense against hypocrisy, uh, we should look first at the characteristics of the hypocrite and why these things uh, don't fit Job and really why these things ought not to fit you. And, and why you should be very careful uh, that, that this description here uh, isn't true for you. And, and also we will thereby, I, I guess, hopefully, uh, see how to, uh, to avoid these pitfalls of hypocrisy. Now, hypocr- hypocrisy is one of these things that is often leveled against the church. And it's leveled against the church with the assumption that Those who claim to love the Lord and fear God and seek righteousness are therefore holy and never sin. And yet, as anybody in the world can see, we all sin. And therefore, those that love holiness are accused of hypocrisy because they do not live to that standard. And that is often the way the world seeks to silence the church. And sometimes the church is silent. Sometimes we feel we have to be in the defensive uh, because we know full well that we are do not live up to the integrity, the righteousness, the holiness that God calls us to. And we are also before the Lord quite humble, or at least we ought to be, and we know we ought to be. Uh, then, then it makes us wary then of asserting our integrity 
and asserting and establishing and standing upon that righteousness that we do have in Jesus Christ. This, I hope to show, is a machination of the devil and, and is not true. And I mean, I'm not to say that there are no hypocrites in church, and it's not to say that the church is never hypocritical. Uh, but as faithful Christians, there is a defense against hypocrisy. But first, we have to know its characteristics. And again, we have these in several rhetorical questions in verses 8, 9, and 10. For what is the hope of the hypocrite, though he hath gained, when God taketh away his soul? In other words, there is no hope for him. Will God hear his cry when trouble cometh upon him? No, he will not. Will he delight himself in the Almighty? No, he does not. Will he always call upon God? No, he will not. These are rhetorical questions. They, they are so framed that they... Uh, our, their power is given in that we expect these negative answers. And so we have three things here. Uh, they overlap. They overlap a great deal. But we will still pick them out as Job puts them here and, and look at them individually. So the first in verse 8 is that the hypocrite's treasure is not in heaven with Christ. Uh, we, we are reading this as Christians, so we will give the fullness of, of that, even if in Job's mind... Uh, that heavenly treasure is still somewhat vague and, and somewhat undescribed, uh, the mercy of the Lord. Nevertheless, uh, Job is clear that he expects deliverance from God, that that is the only place that his hope dwells, and therefore uh, he is looking to that, uh, that outcome. But that is not the case with the hypocrite. The hypocrite hopes uh, in his gain. And when his gain is taken away because all the things of this world are vanity, his hope is gone when, it is, when the Lord gathers his soul. Uh, his love only endures as long as his well-being. Now, this is basically... Uh, what his wife tried to get him uh, to understand that when his children and when his wealth and when his good name was gone, that there was nothing left to him, so he should curse God and die. Now, we, we want to be careful. As I mentioned before, Job corrects his wife. Uh, Job uh, rebukes his wife, but in a loving way, and, and we, we don't... Uh, though the, the counsel comes from Satan, uh, it is, uh, in the sense, taking advantage of a, of, of a, of a distressed and, and a weak heart that she says what she says. Uh, but this, uh, this shows that, at least in her mind at that moment, any good that Job should expect from God would be in this life. And if there is no good in this life, then it doesn't matter if he curses God or not. He might as well curse God and take his life. Because there is nothing left for him. That wasn't, that wasn't um, Job's faith. Uh, Job's faith was... You know, in germ at a certain point, it wasn't as fully recognized until he suffered a great deal. Uh, 
Uh, He doesn't come to the great hope until chapter 19, uh, verses 25. He knows that there will be a Redeemer, an Avenger, a Vindicator. He knows that His Redeemer lives and that He shall stand at the latter day upon earth. And I will see it even when I die and I am in the dust and my flesh is eaten by worms. Yet with my own eyes as reconstituted and vindicated, God will bring His justice to fruition. This is the difference. Jesus says in in Matthew 6, verses uh, 19 to 21, He gives this warning and uh, gives this description of, of two sorts of people. Those that trust in vanities and those that trust in the Lord's provision. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth, rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now he's not saying, by the way, that you should have these sort of vain uh, earthly treasures just in a heavenly place. He's not saying and are, are vindicating a certain... Uh, certain Islamic and Mohammedan kind of hope that, that he can forego uh, the, the, the 20 or how many ever dozens of earthly virgins so that he would have the heavenly virgins uh, and he can indulge his sin there. That's not what Jesus speaks of. He's speaking of having a treasure that is not vain, that is not touched by vanity. There is no other treasure except God himself in Jesus Christ. That, that that gospel, the promises and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ is that pearl of great price that is worth selling everything just to get your hands on. And when you have it, you can lose everything else because you have the only thing of true value. But that is not the hope of the hypocrite. What is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he has gained when God takes away his soul. You can recognize a hypocrite, unfortunately, oftentimes by the funeral. When we've, we've had many funerals and, and, and many different sorts of people, sometimes here, sometimes other places, and they're very different. I, I don't know how many of you go to all of them. Thankfully, when we have them at the saints, the church, they're very joyful things because we know their faith and we know that though they had suffered in the body, that they have put that apart from them and they have been taken up in the heavenly glory. But most likely, unless you've been very selective, I know many of you because I've been to them myself, have gone to funerals where that was not the case. And there is a great sadness that lies over them because all that was good has long departed from that person. And while we don't want to be cruel and we don't want to be judgmental, there's a certain dread that hangs over such things. All that he loves will disappoint him. We get this, by the way, as he uh, describes the, the faith of the wicked man in language that is very much like Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar's language. 
but it's with an eye towards the, the, the hypocrite's expectation. Uh, he, he's setting up this great family, and it will be taken apart away from him. And no one will mourn uh, the loss of his children. His household will not be uh, established. No one will care when he is dead. Uh, their sins shall come upon them uh, by the sword or whatnot. Verses 14 and 15. Though he gathers up great wealth, God will not let him keep it, but will give it to, as to his own people uh, to, to disperse or accept it as they may. Uh, verses 16 through 18. Uh, he will not be gathered unto his fathers, but the terrors of God's judgment that he cannot escape will come upon him. And the hypocrite seeking to establish not a relationship with God, but the appearance of a relationship with God in the eyes of men, will find that even that reputation, verse 25, is gone. Whatever he has gained will mean nothing when God comes for his soul. So the hypocrite's treasure is not in heaven with Christ, but Job's was. And Job could persevere and establish his integrity. In verse 9, we have the prayer life of the hypocrite. Will God hear his cry when trouble cometh upon him? Uh, that uh, the idea is that eventually the hypocrite will decide he needs to start praying, but, but the time may be past that God will hear. You know, to hear your prayer is the mercy of God. To hear the supplication of his creation is something God does out of love and mercy, and it's not guaranteed to us. We are not entitled to it. Which is why we pray in the name of Christ Jesus, by the way, because he is entitled to it. And he has given us that, that privilege to do so in faith. But if we just take it as if it's a, it's a magical key to get into the secret chambers of the Lord God, then we have misunderstood that relationship that is established in Jesus Christ. The hypocrite always views that his time for prayer and time for getting right with God is in the future. When the, the enjoyment of this present world ceases to be all that enjoyable. When the, the, his situation in the present world becomes somewhat trying, then he will pray. The, the psalmist speaks to this in, in Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, uh, also in um, Isaiah, let's, let's look at Psalm 32 in verses uh, 6 and 7. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with the songs of deliverance. His confidence, the confidence of David was that he would be found in trouble because he uh, prayed to God uh, in the easy times when, when God may be found. 
in Isaiah uh, chapter 55, verse 6 and 7, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. But there is a time when that mercy is dried up. David alludes to it in Psalm 32, when the floods come. Uh, There was a time, uh, Moses, the preacher of righteousness, building the ark in the wilderness, was scorned and laughed by that present wicked generation. And when God closed up the ark, it didn't matter if people all of a sudden came to the realization that, that Noah preached true and that salvation was with him. It was too late. And they were not. The hypocrite always considers that there will be a time for mercy and he could sow his wild oats in the meantime. That there will always be a time uh, that, that he can get right with the Lord and he can put off what he knows he needs to do today. As, as was fashionable for a period of time in the Christian church, uh, particularly with kings and dukes and, and, and uh, chief tribal chieftains that converted to the faith, they put off the their baptism until their deathbed. Understand that many of them, and and they were counseled this way by the church, uh, found that that there was no benefit. And in fact, very often, there was no opportunity to even get that little bit of, of, of hope. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, wisdom, who, who is Christ, the eternal wisdom, the eternal word of God, calls out uh, in, in Proverbs, chapter 1, to those that will not hear, because I have called and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded it. But ye have said it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge. And did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way. And be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them. And the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely. And shall be quiet from fear of evil. Job, as we are told in chapter 1 verse 5, was... A, a diligently godly man. That he was careful. He was careful of his children, even in the good times and the times of blessing. That he was careful to instruct them in the ways of repentance and faith. Uh, Job can rely upon that. This is part of the wickedness of what Job's friends are doing. 
Because of his sufferings, they have determined he was a hypocrite, and therefore they're trying to call in all his past devotions as fake on the basis that he's suffering now only. But Job called upon the Lord when times were good, and when times were evil, he could bless the name of the Lord that gives and takes away. That he can still seek out the Lord. What has he been doing in every discourse and argument that he's had with his friends? He rebukes them or challenges them or corrects them, and then he turns to the Lord God. He's constantly going to the only place that he believes he can receive help. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Chapter 13, verse 15. That brings us to, to verse 10. Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call upon God? Now, this kind of combines the, the previous two. Uh, the hypocrite doesn't delight in the Almighty. He delights in earthly things. He doesn't call upon God in season and out of season, but only in times of distress or when maybe there is something to be seen and, and a reputation to be established. As Jesus remarks in, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, those that make their prayers to be seen of men already have their reward in being seen by men. But they're nothing to God who sees in secret. When there was no benefit from God, Job stuck to the Lord. He stuck to Him and sought Him because that was his only place of hope. I've already mentioned it, but Job 15, 13, and 16, Behold, he putteth... Excuse me. Uh, he says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain my own way before him. He also shall be my salvation for a hypocrite shall not come before him. I'm no hypocrite. I'm not perfect. That's not Job's confidence. His confidence is that he truly trusts the Lord. And he believes God to be uh, merciful and kind and right. question is, will we endure when serving Christ hurts? And we have to remember that, that Christ himself forewarns us that it will. He says, he is not worthy of me who does not deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me. In a very pithy statement, the Son of God, the everlasting word, which we should expect from him, uh, puts the entirety of, of Job's concern into perspective. And how that faith should be uh, refined and made pure through suffering. So the hypocrite's treasure is not in heaven with Christ. It is in the gain of the world and, and well-being and, and prosperity or however that is imagined by the hypocrite. The hypocrite's prayer is, is never for the Lord God himself in a time that he may be found. But uh, he has no access to God because he didn't. Seek God when he may be found. And so the Lord does not hear him. And he does not delight in God. But in himself. But if we're honest with ourselves. 
and I think Job could understand this too, we find elements of this in our own hearts. It's kind of like the parable of the word sown in Matthew 13. Some fell on hard ground and, and the devil just took it away without it having any effect upon the person who heard. Some fell upon shallow ground and it comes up in joy, but hardship with, uh, burns it off. Some fell on thorny ground and it comes up, but it's choked by the love of the world. But he says, some falls on good ground and it bears fruit, some 60, some 100 fold, some 30 fold. Uh, what he teaches by that is even on the good ground, there's a little bit of that other ground that has to be plowed up, that has to be corrected. And so there is differences of the way it produces fruit. And when we hear the warnings against hypocrisy, uh, we're tempted to see a little bit there and despair. But there is a defense against it. There is a defense against the charge of hypocrisy. And, and that is maintaining our interest in Him. Maintaining our relationship to Him. In fact, as, as Job says clearly in the opening of this chapter, it is an affront to God to deny your interest in Him. To deny your right. If you have a relationship with the Lord God that's based on mercy, not on your own good works, not on your own righteousness, not on your own desert, but nevertheless you have received Christ as He's offered to you, then that's yours. And it belongs to you. And it is your integrity. And you're not supposed to, on some sort of false sense of, of humility, belittle that or expect little from it. It is the great gift of God. God gave you Himself. God gave you God in Christ Jesus. It is the pearl of great price. It is valuable. And you are to hold on to it. And it would be deceit and, and vow-breaking to make little of it. God forbid. He's using the language of an oath and a vow that we should be careful about. But nevertheless, this is of such importance that under the Holy Spirit, Job is taking an oath that he would not justify their accusations against him and deny his integrity. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whoso shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Now we usually read that verse uh, to encourage us to confess the Lord with, before men. Uh, and, and not to hide it. But understand part of that is to hold to it when it's challenged as insufficient. That... It basically comes down, the hope of our salvation is not ourselves. It's not even in your faith in the Lord. The hope of our salvation is the Lord Himself and His ability to do what He would say to those who trust in Him. And we don't make that ability contingent on our trusting of Him or how good our trust in Him is or how productive our trust in Him is. It's on His power and His grace and His promise. And so we cling to it. Job himself, turn back to 13, he confessed that he, you know, he was looking to the Lord for vindication. 
Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. A hypocrite shall not come nigh him. Yet he didn't view himself as a hypocrite. He, he knew himself to be sins. How many are my iniquities and sins? Verse 23. Make me to know my transgression and my sin. Wherefore hide thou my face and hold me for your enemy. In 23, uh, verses 10 through 12, it says, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept and not declined, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the word of his mouth more than my necessary food. I've lived off my Lord. I have followed him. I haven't done it perfectly, but I've done it. The Lord will hold me up. Job's righteousness is not sinful, sinless, excuse me, but it is faithful. He has faith. He has a genuine trust in his Lord. And he will cling to it. Satan is the great accuser. This is, this is one of the things that the book of Job teaches us. He will take the faithful and accuse them of faithlessness in order to get them to deny God. In order to ruin them. And one of the things that, that Satan wants to do is to shake your assurance in the Lord. And he will use any means necessary, including a sort of a false humility. When we look at ourselves, we recognize our, sinless, our sinfulness, our inability to, to do what is right, and our inability to be sustained without the grace of the Jesus Christ. But we also recognize that Jesus Christ is there. And we will do it. We will persevere. You know, there, but for the grace of God go we. But there is that phrase, but for the grace of God. It matters. It's real. It matters in your heart, and you should cling to it, and you should never surrender it, and you should never belittle it, and you should always stand upon it, because that is your rock, Jesus Christ. The defense against hypocrisy is turning to Jesus. The charge that, no, I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's not falsified by a behavior that doesn't seek Him in prayer or, or doesn't care anything for Him and doesn't cherish Him as the pearl of great price, but rather you're living for this world and you just have that name of Christ, that's another thing. That's hypocrisy. But if he is your treasure, if he is your only hope, if he is your priority, if you do go before him in praise and prayer and devotion, then there's nothing that you should let the world, I mean, there's no grounds that you can let the world shake that trust. What you need to do, what I need to do, what we need to do, is cultivate and guard our integrity before Christ. If we are in the habit of only praying when disaster comes, well, we need to recognize that there is disaster in the air, and we need to take the time that right now, while he may be found, to cultivate intentional prayer and devotion to the Lord. If you are in the habit, are not in the habit of, of, of turning to the Lord every day, then maybe you need to be even more intentional than you would otherwise. 
And make sure when you get up that you pray to the Lord. When you get, lay down that you pray to the Lord. If there's something that will help, a meal time or something, you need to take whatever, whatever advantage you have and, and turn it uh, to the Lord. And you need to learn to see true value in heavenly things. The world uses advertising and manipulation and all sorts of things to get you to value something else. But there is nothing more valuable to you of your own than your soul. And there's nothing of greater value for your soul than to be right with God. And even more than that, what we're promised is even better. To enjoy God for all eternity in His glory. Jesus says in chapter 16, verse 24 and following, Then said Jesus unto His disciples, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whoever will lose his life for My sake shall find it. For what is, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in glory of His Father with His angels, and He shall reward every man according to His works. Verily, verily, I say unto you, as a comfort to them, there are some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming into His kingdom. It is the kingdom, the reign, and the rule of Jesus Christ that gives glory not only to his name, but gives hope and, and, and everlasting satisfaction to his subjects, to his people, to his brethren, and Jesus Christ. But let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we ask that you would keep us from hypocritical hearts, from a false faith or trust in the appearance of godliness, but rather let us trust in Christ. And let us not deny our interest in him. Let us cherish that pearl as, as, as the most valuable thing, for it is. And we ask, dear Lord, that we would not give ear to the doubts of Satan, that we would not give ear to uh, the, the temptations of the world, but that we would stand upon him, our rock, and that we would not fall. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.